Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. We are in week two, and week two is called Righteousness and the Blood. Righteousness and the Blood. Uh, The blood of Jesus is really something that is integral to our faith. Uh, sometimes we can, uh, especially if we've been in church for a while or Christian for a while, we can almost look past the revelation of the blood because it's something that seems so um, really early in our walk with Christ. But can I say there is so much revelation. There is so much importance in the blood of Jesus that you could spend your lifetime studying the importance and revelation of the blood of Christ and still not know everything that there is to know. There is so much revelation and there is so much depth and that's what we're going to jump into today. Um, So we're going to read the summary for this week. It's on the other page um, past uh, the opening page for this week and it says this. It says, to be righteous means to be in right standing. Everybody say right standing. To be in right standing with God. The stain of sin causes us not to be in right standing with God and no matter the amount of work we try, we cannot make ourselves righteous only through the blood everybody say the blood Blood. only through the blood of Jesus can we be made righteous come on who's thankful for the blood of Jesus today Romans 5 9 says and since we have been made right right in God's sight by the blood of Christ through the blood of Jesus the stain of sin is washed and we are made righteous in the eyes of the Father we are made righteous in the eyes of the Father We're going to turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. You know, I'm thankful that God doesn't acquire and align with my time, and I'm glad that he comes at the right time. There's been time in my life to say, God, I need you now. But then God comes when he's supposed to come, like, God, I'm glad you waited, right? I'm glad your timing is perfect. He said he came at the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So while we were still broken, while we were still lost, while we're still trapped by sin, Jesus didn't look down at us and said, you are not worth saving because you're still trapped. No, he looked down at us and said, even while we are still sinners, even while we were still messed up, even while we were still so uh, contaminated by sin, Jesus said, I'm gonna die for them anyways. I'm going to die for them. I'm not going to wait for them to be good before I put my life on the line. No, even while they're still bad, I'm going to put my life on the line for them. He says, while we were still sinners, he died for us. And since we have been made right, everybody say right. Since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood. Everybody say by the blood. Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. The title for today is Righteousness and the Blood. 
righteousness in the blood let's pray over service together father we thank you for what you're doing in this house today god we thank you right now for your holy spirit god god come into this service right now father break any barriers break any walls break any strongholds father any distraction we call it to go god any type of double-mindedness we call it to go but father let there be clarity let there be understanding let us be god have our minds open and our hearts soft and ready to receive from you because we don't want to leave this place the same way as we came. We don't want to leave this place, God, filled with the same, God, doubt or stress or unbelief. No, we want to leave this place transformed by your Spirit. So have your way, Jesus. Have your way in this place. We thank you for what your blood has done for us. We thank you for, God, all the things you have done for us. We are not overlooking it. But, Father, we highly appreciate it. We love you, Jesus. And everybody says... Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise today. And y'all can be seated. Y'all can be seated. Thank y'all for standing in honor of reading the word. So our daughter, Sayla, is turning 13 months. There she is. That's her one-year-old when she turned one. She's turning 13 months in a couple of days. And um, it has been the greatest experience you know um, being a, a father being a parent right it can't really be explained to you it has to be experienced like I remember when you know it makes you appreciate your parents way more let me just tell you that I remember like after the first month of having Sailor went up to my parents like I'm sorry okay <laughs> I am sorry you are right and thank you for all that you did but it changes so much on the inside of you it changes your perspective it it allows you to really understand uh, not only um, how, right, right, how you see your children, but how God sees you, us as the spiritual children of God. And it, it allows you to see so many different things. And, and one of the things that we have, have witnessed with watching Sayla grow, it's been an honor to watch her grow. It's been, a, it's been such a joy to see her. I mean, look at it. She's always smiling. She's always happy. Uh, my favorite part of the day is that whenever she wakes us up at 530 in the morning, praise the Lord. But whenever she wakes up, the first thing I see is her sweet smile. And she's happy. You know, it's the best. Uh, but what we have learned, and I remember it being said to me, it says, hey, when you raise your children, you have to instruct them on what is right, but you don't have to teach them what is wrong. They know what is wrong all the, on their own somehow, some way. Like somehow, some way, Selah already knows the word no. Like, that's her favorite word right now. I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know, she'll be waking up saying the word no. I'm like, where did you get, you know, where did you get this from? And, and it, it's funny, but that's what scripture says is that because of sin entering into the world, we, as us all in this room, we were born into sin. It's in our nature. Scripture says it like this in Psalms 51 verse 5. It says, this is David talking. He said, for I was born, everybody say born, for I was born a sinner. Meaning this, even when we're born into this world, we're born into sin. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, we were born into sin. And my sweet daughter, Selah, she's the sweetest thing on earth. But the nature is there. And we were all born into that nature of sin. And what happened in the Garden of Eden, and what happened, this is what it says in Romans 5, chapter 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered, everybody say entered. Sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. And so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, I got some uh, 
illustration here that I want us to show and, and, and look at together. Now, now today's message, I'm going to say this, it's going to be a little, a little bit different, okay? It's going to be a little bit of a history lesson. But this is what I've learned. If you don't understand your history, then you can't fully appreciate today, right? If you don't understand where you came from, if you don't understand what, what happened before the blood of Jesus, then you can't fully appreciate the present now that you've been covered and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, right? So it's going to be a little bit of a history lesson. But it's okay because I enjoy history, so I hope you do too. So this is what happened, right? It says that when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. But when God created Adam and Eve, all right, this right here, this is going to be God, all right? When God uh, came and he created the earth, he created the world. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them uh, blameless, spotless, and pure. Uh, there, there was nothing within them. There was no sin in the world. There was no rebellion in the world, yet it, they were created uh, in the sight with God where they were in unity with God before sin had entered into the world. And so they had this closeness with God. If you read scripture, it says that Adam and Eve would walk with God in the cool of the evenings. Like, wouldn't that be an awesome thing to do is after a long day of work, you're like, God, let's go walk around the neighborhood for a little bit, you know? Uh, they were, they enjoyed such a closeness. They enjoyed such a connectivity with God, really how it's supposed to be. How God created it to be, Adam and Eve enjoyed. But when Adam and Eve committed uh, sin, whenever they committed a sin, when they, when they rebelled against God and disobeyed his commands, sin came within them and then changed them on the inside. It changed them on the inside to where they were no longer uh, the pureness that God created them with, and that separated them from God, and sin came in between them. Sin came in between them and God, and now not only were they separated, but also now Adam and Eve and all of humanity, now us, born into sin, now we were contaminated by sin. You know what God could have easily done? And I might, this is why I ain't God. That's what I say. This sounds why I ain't God. God could easily say, you know what? I, I'm looking down at my creation, and they are contaminated. They are broken. So I'm just going to throw them off the table and start over. But because God, as the creator of heaven and earth, you know he has every right to do that. Have you ever heard of creative rights? Have you ever heard of that? Like if you create something, you have the right then to destroy that thing because you created it. It belongs to you, right? Like that's why you better hope that Apple doesn't decide to destroy all their Apple devices because they created it and they have that right. Uh, because it's creative rights. But now God could have done that, but out of his love for us, out of his love for us, he said, no, I'm not going to leave my children contaminated, but instead I'll going to instill a way for us to be connected once again. I'm not going to just, I'm not going to be separated from my creation. I'm going to find a way to even in their contamination of sin, I'm going to find a way to restore that connection. And that's how much he loves us. God loves us so much that even when he sees our brokenness, he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in our brokenness. God loves you so much that even when you are stuck in sin, he loves you so much, he loves you enough to not leave you there, amen? He loves you enough to say, I'm not going to leave them in their contamination. I'm going to bring them into the connection with me. And so what God did is he instilled something called the law. Everybody say the law. The first thing that God did, he instilled the law. 
And in, with the law that he gave to Moses and he gave to the people of Israel, he said, look, I'm going to give you all this law. And this law is going to restore the connection uh, with me. And within that law, there was 613 different commandments. I can barely count to 600, okay? But maybe I can barely count to 100, much less keep up with 613 commandments. But that's the law that he made, and that's the law he instilled. And this is the covenant that he made uh, with the people of Israel. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, he says this. He says, if you fully obey, everybody say obey said, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all of his commands, everybody say commands. He said, if you fully obey and keep all of my commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. And so God said to his contaminated people, he said to us, he said to the nation of Israel, he said, look, if you, just if you just keep these 613 commands, and if you just obey them, and if you don't break them, then guess what? We're going to be connected again. But if you know your history, you will know that people are fickle, that people aren't, aren't perfect, that people aren't able to keep 10 commands, much less 613 commands. And so the people of Israel broke the commands, they broke the laws, they broke the rules time and time and time again. And so what God did within the law, he instilled a system that if somebody broke a commandment, what he instilled was a way to create a sacrifice done so that when if somebody broke a, a commandment, a sacrifice had to uh, be done for that, uh, for that broken, for that sin that was committed to be amended by that sacrifice. And because the wages of sin is death, the only way... For that person who broke that command, the only way for that sin to be uh, uh, atoned was for an animal, for a life uh, to die. was a sacrifice to be had for a blood of an animal to be shed because the wages of sin is death. And so the only way for that wage to be paid was through the blood of an animal. So God instilled this system to atone. Everybody say atone. God had stilled the system to atone the sins of the people of Israel, the sins that they committed. And this is what he said in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. He said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement. Everybody say atonement. To make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the souls. So this is what God was saying. Again, this is, we're, we're going over the old covenant right now. This is what God was saying. He's saying, he was saying, look, okay, you're contaminated, you're, you're broken, and you're probably stinky, right? You're all messed up. But I'm going to create a system to bring connection with us once again. And this, this system I'm going to create is one of animal sacrifices that it's going to atone for the sins that you commit. And so what he did was create that system. But the word atonement, when you study the word atonement, the word atone means to cover. Everybody say to cover. So this was a system. This is what I want us to see and want us to witness because this, is, was, this was our history before Jesus. So this was a system. 
is that whenever somebody, whenever us, whenever the nation of Israel would sin, whenever they messed up, they would have to then uh, uh, have a sacrifice, sacrifice an animal to, to amend, to atone for that sin. And what atone means is to cover, right? And so basically what would happen is that whenever they committed a sin, they would have to commit an animal sacrifice that would cover their sin. But if you look at it closer, you would begin to see that although maybe the sin was covered, maybe it changed things on the outside, but on the inside, the problem still remained. Because that is what the system was. It, it, the system, the old covenant, it wasn't a, a, a final fix. It was just a partial fix. What that animal sacrifice did, it didn't cure sin. It just covered sin. Have you ever been in a hurry to clean your house? Somebody's about to come over in five minutes, about to surprise you, and you look around and you're like, oh my Lord, there's, I got about an hour's worth of work I need it done in five minutes. I remember one time, I uh, said this in first service, I remember one time Haley left and uh, she was gone all day on a Saturday, right? She's like, I'm coming back. I was like, okay, you know what? And, and I said this, I got myself in trouble. I said, and when you get back, the house is going to be clean. I said, I'm a good husband. But that was college football Saturday, okay? And so I was just watching college football all day, you know, resting and, and having a good time. And then I get that text, hey, babe, I'll be home in five minutes. I said, oh, no. I looked around, I said, nothing, the house isn't cleaner, it's dirtier than when she lived. <laughs> so I had five minutes, and I just grabbed everything right, and what do we do? We just shove it in the closet, right? We just shove it in places that she couldn't see, and I remember her walking in, she was like, wow, good job, babe. I was like, thank you, I'm a good husband. <laughs> but that really didn't clean the mess, that just hid the mess, right? And what it was under the old covenant it didn't really clean the problem it didn't it didn't cure the sin all that was doing it was just covering the sin but the problem still remained it, it, it covered but it didn't cure their sins but in the old testament the word atonement is very important matter of fact it is mentioned over a hundred times the word atonement is mentioned. But do you want to know how many times the word atonement is mentioned in the New Testament, represented of the New Covenant? You know how many times it's mentioned? Zero times. So that says to me that when we went from the old to the new, there was an internal change of covenant, internal change of system, and an internal change of how our sins and the sins of the world was dealt with when we went from the old system to the new. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says in, ver in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. He, it writes this. It says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. Everybody say a shadow. It was only a shadow. This system was this a shadow, a, a dim preview of the things to come, not the good things themselves. Because the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year, year, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing. Everybody say cleansing. 
for those who came to worship him. So what would happen is that this is, again, this is our history. This is what happened for Jesus. Day after day, mistake after mistake, time after time, every time that the Israelites made a mistake, guess what? They had to go back to the tabernacle and cover up their mess. The problem was still there, but they had to cover up their mess. Time and time after, uh, they had to go in and sacrifice after sacrifice. I can only imagine how busy that tabernacle was. Can you imagine how many times they were like, okay, I, man, I, I ran a red light today. Got to go and amend a sacrifice for that. I'm sure that line was longer than Chick-fil-A on a, on a Saturday. But it was time after time, day after day, sacrifice after sacrifice. And you can begin to see the mindset. You can begin to see the culture. You can begin to feel the weight, can't you? The weights of the law being on their shoulders. And then they begin to realize and they begin to understand that they cannot fix sin on their own. That if they were trying their own to be perfect, they wouldn't be able to live up to it. Because time after time, sacrifice after sacrifice, they would see that even though they kept on covering it, they were never clean. They were never cleansed. It was never removed. It says in verse 2, because it says, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt, everybody say guilt. The feelings of guilt would have disappeared. What the writer of Hebrew is saying is saying if this system was perfect, then they wouldn't need to go day after day, time after time, sacrifice after sacrifice. All it would need was one sacrifice for it to be cleaned and cured. But the system wasn't like that. The system wasn't what offered uh, a purified cleansing once and for all time and it says this and he wrote this he says even when they covered their sins by a sacrifice even when the price the penalty of sin was removed the guilt of that sin still remained under the old system even when they even when those those poor lambs in Israel that's all I can say there's probably like a million lambs and because they had to make up for all their mistakes Every time an animal was had to be sacrificed because of the mistake of an Israelite, all it did was, was cover them, but it didn't cure the sin, and it didn't remove their guilt. Can you imagine this? Because you can't fully appreciate what Jesus has done for you until you realize how it was before Jesus. So can you imagine this? Can you imagine asking God for forgiveness, him forgiving you for that sin, but, for, but then after being forgiven, you still feel guilty? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine even after saying, God, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And then God forgives you, but yet you still feel condemned. Could you imagine that? That's what the people under the law felt. That even when they made a sacrifice for the sins they committed, they the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of their sins still remained. But who's thankful we no longer live under the old covenant, but we're in a new covenant? Because this is what scripture says, is that whenever we ask Jesus for forgiveness, not only does he forgive us of our sins, but that our sins as are far as the east is from the west. Look at what Hebrews chapter 18, 12 says. It says, and I will forgive, everybody say forgive. It says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. So whenever Jesus forgives you, he doesn't say, hey, you're forgiven, but I remember what you did. 
you know? Have you ever, like, uh, said sorry to somebody, like, hey, I forgive you, but I'm never going to forget what you did? Have you ever, like, somebody ever told you that? They're like, I forgive you, but I can't, I can't trust you anymore, right? When Jesus forgives you, there's no strings attached. When Jesus forgives you, he says, look, I forgive it, and guess what? I've forgotten. Your shame is gone. Your guilt is gone. Your condemnation is gone because that's what the blood of Jesus does. Who's thankful for the blood of Jesus today? This is how the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews explains it. In chapter 10, verse 8, he says this. He said, first Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices. He said, when this old system says, this isn't even what you wanted. He said, these sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. Everybody say, pleased. He said, God wasn't even pleased by these. It, it didn't cure the problem of sin. It just, it just covered the problem of sin. And he said, then he said, look, I have come to do your will. And he cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy. Everybody say holy. By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. But who's thankful for what Jesus did for us on the cross? Jesus was the final sacrifice. And so this is what took place. Under the old system, although a sacrifice was made, it didn't cure the sin. It discovered the sin. But let me show you what Jesus did. When Jesus came to this world, Jesus came into this world not like you and I. Jesus was not born into sin because his blood didn't come from humanity. His blood came from heaven. His father came from heaven. And so when he was born into this world, when he took on flesh, he wasn't born into sin like you and I. He came into this sin, uh, he came into this world without sin, and he was pure and he was right. And scripture say, also says this, it says Jesus was tempted in every way, in every way, yet did not sin. In every way, yet did not sin. So when he went to the cross for you and I, he was the only person on the planet who didn't deserve to die. The only one. The only one without sin. But yet he went to the cross to die for our sins. And what he did, because he was the perfect and final sacrifice, what he did is that he took sin, he took the problem. He took the problem, and Scripture says this in, in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Scripture says this, for he who knew no sin became sin for us. That way we might become the righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. That way we may become the righteousness of God. So what Jesus did is that he took on the sin of the world. He took on the sin of all time. He took on the sin, he took on the sin of all, all past, present, and future. And what he did is that the sin didn't contaminate him. Because he was pure, he eliminated sin, the price of sin in the world. And he made it pure. He cured the problem. He removed, he removed the curse and the price of sin. He removed it out of the equation. And not only that, whenever he went down to the depths of hell, defeated death, uh, hell and the grave, and he rose on the third day, he then wanted to say, now that death has been defeated, now us who has been came into this world with sin, now us that has been contaminated by sin, if we just call upon the name of Jesus, 
If we just say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I know I have done wrong. And Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And you make him Lord and Savior over your life. You know what he does? Now the blood of Jesus that cures sin, now it gets poured over us. Now it gets poured into us. And then it doesn't happen. Who knows? It doesn't happen overnight. But over time, the blood of Jesus begins to clean us, cleanse us, begins to clear us of all unrighteousness, and begins to make us holy and pure once again. And restores how it was in the Garden of Eden. And now we are connected once again. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus didn't say, hey, look, I'm just going to cover the problem. He says, no, I want to cure the problem. And I'm going to put my life down on the line. And I'm not just going to be the one who's going to, he's going to say it's just for, to keep on doing it time and time again. No, he was the one sacrifice for all time. For all time. That means past, present, and the future. For all time, he was the final sacrifice. No more you having to go under the old covenant day after day, time after time, moment after moment, sacrifice after sacrifice. No more of that. Now we just have the blood of Jesus on the inside of us, and it cures everything. It blots out all sin. It removes the stain, the contamination to make us now connected to Jesus once again. Let me tell you this. If you were here 2,500 years ago, under the law, your people of Israel, your minds would be blown right now. You'd be like, wait, I don't have to kill Larry the Lamb no more? And all his cousins, like 50 times a week, you know? I'm sure, I think all the lambs had a praise party. Like when, when Jesus finally cured the problem of sin, because they were like, look, man, we're, our number's going to populate now. Because Jesus was the final sacrifice. But not only did he cover our sins but he cleansed our sins and that's point number one and don't worry that opening was way longer than the closing okay so don't worry but here's the first first point for today is that the blood of Jesus not only covers our sin but cleanses everybody say cleanses but cleanses us of our sin to where now there is no sin on the inside of us here's something you gotta remind yourself because sometimes you get religion can get a hold of us and we can say hey look we're all sinners we're, we're all just sinners, so don't, you know, don't think, hey, Jesus doesn't call us sinners. I hope you know that. Whenever we're covered by the blood of Jesus, we're now called sons and daughters of God, and there's no sin in us. There's no sin in us. The enemy will try to convince you and say, you know what, you're, you're just one, you're one mistake away. You're going to always be making mistake after mistake. So, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. The blood of Jesus has covered me, and there's no sin in me, and that is why now I can be connected to Jesus. And, hey, even if we do make a mistake, guess what? That sacrifice was once for all time. So that means the blood of Jesus is there for me again. But that's the power of the blood of Jesus is that now it's not just a covering, it's a cleansing. Now it's not just something that appeases and hides the mess. Now the mess is cleaned up. But you have to be careful. Because one of the things the enemy will try to convince you of is that even after you've been cleaned, he will try to convince you to still feel guilty. He will try to convince you to still feel condemned for the past. To feel condemned for what the blood has taken away. But whenever the enemy tries to convince you of that, because we've got to remember, all he can do is lie. There's no truth in him. When the enemy tries to convince you that 
you should feel guilty of what you did in your past, you got to remind them of the power of the blood. That's why we got to be reminded of the power of the blood of Jesus. Because any time that insecurity comes back or that guilt comes back or that condemnation comes back, we can remind the enemy, hey, guess what? I'm under a new covenant. I'm under the blood of Jesus, and I don't have to feel guilty. And that's the freedom of Jesus. The freedom, of Je the freedom that's in Jesus is this, is that even when we, we're in sin, when we're covered by the blood, we don't have to be weighed down by that sin no longer. But now we're freed of it. Now we're, we're found guiltless of it. Now that's what scripture says, righteous, right standing, that we're in alignment with God. Don't let the enemy try to convince you of condemnation. Don't let the enemy try to convince you of guilt. Because once it's under the blood, it's under the blood, amen. Once it's under, it's gone. The guilt is gone. The condemnation is gone. Come on, if you're thankful for the blood of Jesus, give him a hand clap of praise today. Because that's where our freedom is found. Our freedom is found in the blood of Jesus. So you might be thinking to yourself, say, well, Pastor CJ, does that mean that God made a mistake when he instilled the law in the old covenant? Does that mean that God made a mistake and then Jesus was just a backup plan? Let me tell you this. First of all, God doesn't make mistakes, first of all. Second of all, the law was not a failure. The law was not a failure. When God instilled the law, the law was not meant to make us perfect. The law was meant to show us that we're not perfect. The law was not meant to make us good. The law was meant to show us that we're not good. That on our own, guess what? We're falling short. On our own, guess what? We're not able to make it. And what the law was meant to show is that we needed a savior. What the law was meant to show us this, is why we have to know our history. What the law was meant to show us this is that we can look back and say, no, look, humanity tried to do it on their own, but they fell up short. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the blood, because if we're in the same shoes as them, I'm telling you, we would fall short as well. That's why we need the blood of Jesus, because Jesus wasn't the backup plan. Let me tell you this. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. Jesus was the plan of all time. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus was the plan. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus wasn't the backup plan. Jesus was the original plan. Jesus was always the plan. Jesus was always there. Jesus was always the one. If you read, if there's one line that ties all the scripture together, it's the name of Jesus. Can we give Jesus a shout of praise today? But whenever Adam brought sin into the world, not only did it contaminate, not only did it contaminate us with sin, but scripture says that it separated him from God. It separated us from God. Whenever they committed that sin and they rebelled against God, they actually were kicked out of the Garden of Eden which represented the presence of God. They were, had to be removed from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because sin cannot be in the same presence and atmosphere as holiness. And because God is so holy, sin cannot be in the same place as God. And so when they sinned, they had to be removed from God's presence because we serve a holy God. And even when the law was instilled, even when the, the old covenant was instilled, and even then, access to God's presence, the connectivity, looked nothing like it is today. Even then, only one person, 
once a year could enter into God's presence, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was found. Only one person could enter. It wasn't a free access. It wasn't something that freely we could go into. And so that means the other 364 days of the year, nobody entered into the holy place. Nobody entered into God's presence. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is explaining in chapter 9, verse 7. He's explaining the old system. He says, but only the high priest ever entered into the most holy place and only once a year. Everybody say once a year. Only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people who had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely, everybody say freely, was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system, the old covenant it represented, was still in use. So under the old covenant, before the blood of Jesus, we could not freely enter into the, God, into the presence of God. Before the blood of Jesus, we could not do what we enjoy today, which is call upon the name of Jesus, and he is there. We couldn't enjoy that under the old covenant. And even the person who could go into God's presence, the high priest, the interaction that he had with God's presence isn't like what we have today. It wasn't one where he would enter into God's presence and, and have a good old prayer session and have a relationship and communication with God how we enjoy today. Now, when, when the high priest under the old covenant entered into God's presence, the most holy place, it was a moment of fear and I'm going to get in and get out as soon as possible. Because here was the thing, if he entered that place, God's presence, with any sin on the inside of him, or if he didn't do the ritual the right way that the command, that the law commanded him to do, instantly he would die. Because there can't be no sin in God's presence. So when he would go into there, he was like, look, I'm sure his knees were shaking. He was like, you know, I'm sure he like practiced it a hundred times of how he was going to do it, get in, get out. Because what they would even do they would, they would tie around the high priest's ankles, around his, around his ankles, they would tie bells to him and to his dress, to his, to his coat. They would tell, tie bells to him and then tie a rope around his waist and then push him into the most holy place. And if they stopped hearing the jingles, they're like, oh, man, Bob is dead. <laughs> he didn't make it. He did something wrong. He, he, he did something. And so they would then drag him out of God's presence by the rope because that's how serious sin is. That's how serious sin is. And that is what the weight of the law was under the old covenant. But now by the blood of Jesus, we experience something that is so free and powerful, but we have to fully understand it. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say in verse 19, chapter 10, verse 19. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. It says, there's brothers and sisters, we can boldly, everybody say boldly. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood. Everybody say the blood. Because of the blood of Jesus. We don't have to fearfully or afraid or go into God's presence now thinking, man, if I mess up, I'm done for. No, we can boldly enter God's presence now because of the blood of Jesus. We can boldly enter God's presence now because of what Jesus did for us. And verse 20 says, by his death, Jesus opened a new, everybody say new, 
a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Before Jesus, we couldn't enter in God's presence, but after the blood of Jesus, now we can boldly, everybody say boldly, boldly enter God's presence. That's the second point for today. It's that the blood of Jesus paves, everybody say paves. The blood of Jesus paves a path to God's presence. Worship team, you can join me. I want us to catch this. Because again, if you don't understand the weight and the history of the old covenant, then you won't fully begin to appreciate the newness and the, 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 the power and the freedom that we enjoy under the new covenant. Under the old covenant, you couldn't just go up and you can just go and enter into God's presence whenever you need it. I don't know about you, but there's so many times in my day where I have to take a prayer break and I have to get into that holy place. There's so many times in my day where I'm stressed out and where I'm fearful and I'm thinking about how all these things are going to take place. But I say, well, hold up. I got the blood of Jesus on the inside of me. And so now I can just boldly enter God's presence. And so now by the blood of Jesus, we can just lift up our hands, say, Jesus, I need you. And right then and there, God's presence will fall. Right then and there you'll enter into the most holy place. Right then and there, you'll enter into a place where peace and power originates. And you want to know why God's presence is unlike anything on earth? It's because God's presence doesn't come from earth. It comes straight down from heaven. And before, under the old covenant, Unless you were the high priest and only once a year, you weren't getting into God's presence. But now because of the blood of Jesus, we can freely and boldly enter into the presence of God. Now we can enter into a place and have a relationship with God the way that God originally created us to have a relationship with Him with. Now we can have and it's been time in prayer the way Adam and Eve did spend time with God now we can because of the blood of Jesus enter into God's presence and now and here's the thing when God looks at us when we are covered by the blood he doesn't see our sin he sees his son and that gives us access into the presence of God because the contamination of sin is gone because of the blood of Jesus is there and we can enter into God's presence. We can enter into the presence of the creator of heaven and earth. The one who knows us better than we know ourselves. The one who knows the number of hairs on our head. The one who knows what's best for you. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we now have access. We have VIP access to God's presence that we can enter in to his presence whenever we want to. But we have to have reverence for his presence and we can't take God's presence for granted. If you don't really know and understand the weight of the old covenant, you won't fully appreciate the freedom of the new covenant. If you don't understand that the people of Israel don't enjoy what we enjoy today, then you will overlook the power and overlook the access that we have. But we have to take God's presence 
seriously and in, with intentionality. Ever, ever thought of this? How can somebody be in the same room, God's presence fall, and in one part of the room somebody is being healed and set free, but in the other part of the room somebody is checking their watch and have their arms crossed? How can that happen? Because one person has reverence for God's presence. The other one doesn't understand the freedom and the access and the privilege it is. Let me say this. If you understand the privilege you have, you would never take it for granted again. If you understood the access and the privilege it is to enter into God's presence, you're going to say, God, I never want to go a day. I never want to miss a moment. I never want to be in an in a atmosphere like we are right now and miss out on the transformation power that it offers. And miss out on a healing, a breakthrough, on a addiction being set free, on a mindset being broken. That's all done in the presence of God. Every time we enter God's presence, we should never leave the same, but be transformed by the freedom that God offers. Amen? Can you stand to your feet? I'm closing. Jesus, we just welcome in your Holy Spirit right now. Father, we welcome in, God, your presence into this place. God, we thank you for what you've done, for sending your son who didn't deserve to die. But Jesus went to the cross for us and his blood paved a path for us to enter into your presence. So Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. Jesus, we thank you, God, for right now breaking barriers, for breaking anxieties, for breaking any fear, for setting our minds free right now. Because that's what your blood has done, Jesus. That's what your blood has done. I want to close with this thought. Is that through the blood of Jesus, we are covered. Everybody say covered. We are cleansed. Everybody say cleansed. And we are made right. Everybody say right in God's sight. This is what the blood of Jesus does for us. It covers us. Once you're covered by the blood of Jesus, the enemy can't touch you. Once you're covered by the blood of Jesus, the enemy no longer has a way and entrance into you because now you're protected and now you're covered by the blood. But not only that, now through the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed from the inside out. Now by the blood of Jesus, the old is gone and now the new is here. Now by the blood of Jesus, the old man has perished and now the new man comes alive. By the blood of Jesus, now the, the guilt, the condemnation, the sin is gone. And now we have made pure and right in God's sight. And that is what makes us righteous. That is what aligns us with God. It's because of the blood of Jesus. It's because of the blood of Jesus. With every head bowed, hand lifted, let this moment be a holy moment. 
If there's anybody under the sound of my voice and you say, Pastor CJ, I've heard what you said, but I haven't even taken that first step yet. I haven't been covered by the blood. I haven't asked for forgiveness of my sins. I'm still contaminated by and separated. If that is you in this place right now in your own way, just begin to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I confess you, Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you lived a blameless life and that you died for my sins and that you rose again on the third day. Begin to just love on him. Just, just begin to just make him Lord over your life if that's you. And Father, right now we pray for anybody who is still feeling guilty and condemned for things that are under the blood. God, right now we remove, God, all condemnation, all guilt, God, all insecurities, anything that is trying to weigh us down, we remove that right now in the name of Jesus. We remove that right now in the name of Jesus by the blood. By the blood, we are made right, we are made clean, we are covered, we are transformed, and we are made new. Come on, can we sing together? Can we worship together? Can we sing about the blood together? Come on, let's sing it out. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.